you would please rise, we're going to be reading from Genesis uh, 16, 1 through 16. We're going to be, during the Christmas season, we've been talking about a young virgin named Mary. Um, and today we're going to be talking about a young woman named Hagar, um, and, uh, who becomes pregnant. And we're going to hear about Abram and Sarah. Now, Abram and Sarah are Abraham and Sarah. Sarah is Sarah. Um, before God changed their name. So we're going to be reading about that. So um, let's look at 16, verse 13, and then we're going to go through the whole chapter together. So verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you. We thank you that you are the God who sees us. You see us where we're at. We, you see our situation. You are not blind to it. You know our pain, and you meet us there. Lord, I ask that you would speak through your word, Lord, and you minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So I always like to ask a question um, as we go through thinking about the passage. The question I want to ask is, are you the only one affected by your sin? Are you the only one affected by your sin? Maybe you think your sin, that's eh, not a big deal. Um, only I'm doing it. Nobody really knows. Or maybe it's like, ah, it's just a, a, a lie. It's just a white lie. It's not a big deal. My sin doesn't really affect anybody but me. And we're going to look, and I want you to think about as we go through, is if it's just affecting you or is it affecting others as well? So start on um, verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Those of you who know the story of Sarah and Abraham, back in chapter 11 of Genesis, um, Sarah is barren and she cannot have kids. And so this just starts out saying where they're at in chapter 16, that she still hasn't had any children at this time. Let's keep going. Verses 1 through 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, shocking as this may sound, this is actually a pretty normal practice in the ancient Near East. If you had um, the husband and wife of the household, um, the owner, they had servants. They owned servants at that time. Um, if the wife was barren, she could say to her husband, okay, go marry one of my maidservants, and you have a child with her, and that child becomes mine, becomes the one who's barren, and legally it would become hers. So that even though this may be shocking, this is pretty culturally normal in that time of day. No, but, but Sarah, Sarai seemed less concerned about the promises that God had for Abraham and more concerned about her cultural disgrace. In, in that day and age, the woman's worth was based on how many kids she had. It has changed today, but that was her whole sense of who she was. And she was now, at this time, she was uh, 75 years old, and she hadn't had any kids. But she neglected the promise that God had said to Abram. And let's read that promise in chapter, going back to chapter 13, verses 1, uh, 14 and 16. And the Lord said to Abram, and I will make your descendants as a dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. 
See, the promise that God had for Abraham, that you'll have many descendants, you'll have many children, many offspring. It will it'll be so much you can't even count it. If you look at the dust, if you look at the sand, that's each, each little grain, that's how many descendants you have. So much you can't count. But she was, no, but I want a baby. And she figured, oh, this is my chance. She disregarded God's promise and wanted to do it her own way. Now, you've got to understand a little backstory here. At 75, she was 65. At 75, Abram, uh, God appeared to Abram. And he says, you're going to have, this is when it happened in 13, you're going to have many descendants, as numerous as the sand seashore. That's 10 years have gone by. Sure, the first few months, she was thinking every month, I'm going to get pregnant, I'm going to get pregnant, I'm going to get pregnant. 10 years, that's 120 months. That's 120 times she was thinking she was going to get pregnant and didn't. And those who struggle with pregnancy, and as hard as that is, and uh, God understands your pain, God hears you, you would under, understand and relate to Sarah here. That's like, okay, it's hopeless. Uh, it's not going to happen for me. Let, let, let's find another way here. Take my maidservant. I could have kids through her. And then you could have all these descendants that God has promised to you. I want a baby. That's where Sarah was at. Now, culturally, this was acceptable, right? We talked about that. But in God's eyes, it was not what God had planned, not what God desired. But it's acceptable. Same is true today. You know, we sin and we think, you know, culturally, it's acceptable. But in God's eyes, it's not. You know, I could lie or I can embellish at my job in order to impress people, in order to get the promotion. I could, you know, fidget the numbers and I, I can make it happen. Culturally, that's what you do. You know, if I, I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, I, I could sleep around with them before I get married. Culturally, that's acceptable. Everybody's like, yeah, well, everybody does that kind of thing. Or I gossip about this one or that one. Culturally, yeah, this is what we do. It's tea time. You know, this is what we do. It may be acceptable culturally, but in God's eyes, it's not acceptable. And God has a better thing in store for us. God has something different that he's calling us to. But you may ask, how, how did she get, how did they get here? We need to look back at chapter before. We're going to look at chapter 15. We're on 16, but we'll look at chapter 15 to explain maybe how we got here. So 15 verses 2 through 4. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now God said, he said, I'm going to, just before this, is, I'm going to bless you. And Abram's like, how could you bless me? I don't have any offspring. That my, my, my head servant, he'll inherit everything I have. And God says, no, no, no. You will have an offspring. It will come from your own body. So this is the possibility that may have been happening at this time that, that Abram's like, oh, we've been trying all this. Time. God said it's from my own body. He didn't say anything about Sarai. So is it possible, this doesn't say in scripture, but is it possible that they could be thinking, okay, we can make this happen culturally, you know, we have Hagar and this should work out. And that's why Abram's like, okay, yeah, we, we could do this because that makes sense. It's coming, descendants are coming from me. Hmm. Sounds logical, right? 
Sounds like a plan. They've been trying for 10 years. Obviously, it's not through Sarai. But this has got to work because God made this promise. Never says anything about Abram asking God. It never said anything about Abram seeking God. Lord, is this the way you desire? Is this what you said about promises? Is it going to through, through the maidservant Hagar or is it through Sarai? Never mentioned. You know, sometimes we go through stuff and we're like, this is the plan. Oh, this is obvious. Do, do we ever ask God? Do you ever seek him and say, God, is this what you desire? Is this the direction you want me to go? And we just say, oh, this is it. This is my chance. Oh, all my dreams are fulfilled. I'm going. But sometimes we don't stop and ask God and seek him. Say, God, Lord, what is it you desire? Is this, is this the right path? And then wait for him to answer and direct. And he does. Sometimes he'll make you wait a little longer than you want to. Sometimes you'd be like, he's not answering, I'm just moving. Seek him. Seek to what he has for you. Don't assume, because we know what trouble that gets us into. All right, back to the story. Sarai just said to Abram, here's my maidservant, sleep with her, I could have a baby through her. We're going back to chapter 16, verses 2 through 4. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram was living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Hmm. This brings me back to the garden. Makes me think about the Garden of Eden, right? You have Adam and Eve and the serpent is deceiving Eve and Adam is, is privy to all this and a part of all this and he doesn't really speak up. Well, she ate the fruit. That's good. I could eat it too. All right, let's go on. It's kind of like Abram's here. He knows the promise God has for her. She, she agrees to saying, yes, I want a baby. And he's like, okay. It brings me back to the same thing. They're both in on it. It's not just one. You can't blame one there. They're both in on this. They never questioned God. They never asked him. They never sought. They just moved forward. Now, I don't know about you. Does this sound like a good idea that he's going to He's going to have a second wife and have a baby with her? Does that sound like a good idea to you? I don't know. When you bring another woman, it makes a mess. That's nothing against women. I don't misinterpret that. I was saying another woman in the relationship. Let's clarify. I'm going to get letters. and no, I never get letters. You guys are so loving. But we see through Scripture, whenever there's a second wife, Within a marriage, there, you know, we see his uh, a great grand, a grandson Jacob, right? He marries Leah, and he gets tricked, and so then he marries Rachel as well. So he has two wives, and we see the wives fight with each other. We see them um, want fight for Jacob's attention, saying, "Oh, I have a baby, and you don't." And there's all this bickering and infighting, and then the kids get all into it, and the kids are jealous of. Rachel's kid, Joseph, and they're mean to them, and there is a mess. It gets so bad that they're angry with Joseph, and they want to kill him, and instead they sell him as a slave. That situation doesn't work out. And if you look to the future, you even have Solomon. Forget about him. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And what did that do for him? The Lord talks about don't marry wives, foreign wives, because it will turn your heart away from me. And Solomon, given God's wisdom, he married all these wives, not following God's wisdom. And as a result, 
it led his heart astray. And he built altars to these other gods. And he actually worshipped these other gods. You figure, okay, I'll just build a, some altars for my wife, let them go. No, it, because what happens is the, the first step of sin, we're like, I'm just going to allow this. And you're like, okay. And then we just keep taking steps. And before he knows it, he's bowing to these fake gods and worshipping them. There's a reason God says, you know, one man and one woman to be married. Because or else you get some complications that come in. But let's look at um, the slave girl, Hagar. Anybody know where she's from? This is interesting. Here you go. Yeah, she's Egyptian slave. You got, let's see how that happened. Where, where did they get her um, from Egypt? So there was famine in the land. Um, they were in Canaan. That's modern-day Israel. That was before Jacob is named, God named him Israel and became the land of Israel. That's, but so before that, we have Canaan. That's where they are. There's a famine. So he goes down to Egypt with him and his wife. And on the way down, he's speaking. Abram speaks to Sarai, and this is what he says to her. Um, we're going back again to chapter 12, where it speaks to this. So this is before this whole um, thing between Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar. This is before that. Therefore, it will happen. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Okay, so Abraham, Abram is afraid of being killed. Um, if he goes to Pharaoh, hey, my wife's so beautiful, they're going to see me and say, let's kill him and take his wife. So he's really scared about this. So he goes, you know, Sarah, you got to do something for me. I don't want to die. Um, so if you could just say, if they say, well, I'm going to say you're my sister, and we share that, and we'll, we'll be in together, and then it'll be good, right? We'll, we'll be okay. Now, he doesn't only do this once. You figure maybe it's just the one thing. He does it again, yes, in chapter 20 with King Abimelech. And it tells us a little more information about this sister relationship. That gives a little clarity in verse 20, 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is a daughter of my father, and not, but not the daughter of my mother. She has become my wife. Now, in this day and age, this doesn't happen. But in that day, it was pretty common. right? So he has a, it's through his, a daughter of his father, but not his mother. So then they could still get married um, in that day and age. And so, technically, she's a half-sister. So if he goes and says, you know, technically it's not lying. She is my sister. But there's an important part you're leaving out. She's your wife. So if a man says, okay, I'll, I'll take her to be my wife. Um, you guys are married? It's a, it's a live omission. But we do that, right? Half-truths. Like, I won't tell the whole story. I'll just tell this part that I look really good in and the part that I messed up that I'll get in trouble for. I'll just leave that out and I'll just talk about this. Right? We, we do that, don't we? It's a live mission. It's still a sin, but we feel a little better about it. Like, I don't know if this is Abraham. He has a lack of faith in God. Um, here, maybe, you know, it was, God said you're going to have numerous descendants. Lack of faith that God would protect them against Pharaoh. Or maybe he was just so much in fear that he wasn't thinking rationally. You ever have those moments where it's got a extreme fear and they're like, ah, you can't. But, but I can't really claim that last one because he's walking to Egypt. That's a long walk. This is very much premeditated. This is thought about and planned and, you know, it's just, there's no hesitation there. So 
I can't, I can't give him that much. Let, let, let's keep going. Let's see what happens next. He's walking down to Egypt. He gets to Egypt, and then here's what happened in chapter 12. So it was when Abram came into Egypt. The Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Hmm. So we have a problem here. Pharaoh's princess saw that Sarai was beautiful. So she's like, hey, Pharaoh, she's really beautiful. All right, bring her to my house. He's in preparations to become his wife. Uh-oh. Sarai and Abram, they're supposed to be descendants, numerous, and now your wife is no longer with you. He's with Pharaoh. She's with Pharaoh. That's a problem. Hmm. The Lord actually has to send plagues to free Sarai. So he sent plagues on Pharaoh, and he says, this is, your, this is your sister, this is your wife. And he sends him away with all this stuff. It's interesting, from this half-truth, half-lie, he winds up with a lot of stuff. Hmm. We'll get into that in a little bit. But did you see how Abram received how he got Hagar? Do you notice that? It said he, had, he was given sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants. And what nation are they in right now? Oh. And we see here that in verse 1 of chapter 16, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Oh. So his sin, his half-truth, produced acquiring Hagar, which will produce a bigger mess later on. Wow. Sometimes our little sins have consequences. Maybe not right away, but there are some consequences. So are you the only one affected by your sin? Abram's failure in Egypt, and again we'll see it with King Abimelech in chapter 20, saying she is my half-sister, acquired slave Hagar, which will create a bigger mess. He didn't trust God in his promises. He feared Pharaoh more than God. If God is powerful, God promises God would protect him against Pharaoh. This was a lack of faith resulting in Egyptian maidservant. And then you have Sarai. Her failure to trust God that God was going to give her descendants and her desire for a baby being culturally acceptable rather than what God wanted also got, her, got them into this mess. Half-truths, compromise, it's not a big deal. It's just a little thing here. What's the big deal? Everybody else is doing this. It's fine. And that's where we get to where we are. But why didn't, God, why didn't Abram ask God about this? Why didn't he ask, you know, should I have a baby with Hagar? Should I lie before Pharaoh? Should I do this? But you know what? He missed something. He should have missed something because much earlier in chapter 12, we just talked about when he was in Egypt, God sent plagues to free Sarai. Wouldn't that be a hint that the promise is through Sarai? Why would God save her from a marriage? If he, she's married to Pharaoh, God's like, good, now I'll hook you up with another wife and you'll have a baby and that's what will be her descendants. 
No, God's because I was like, no, I'm going to send plagues because it's supposed to be with Sarai. He missed it. It was right in his face and he missed it because he never sought the Lord. He never asked God. He just assumed and moved on. Sometimes we've got to pause. We're in this, these crossroads and we need to wait on God. Sometimes waiting takes a little bit. There's a reason why I'd say wait. We think wait. I'll wait a day. That's about good. God's been around a long time. A day is like nothing to him. So it tends to be a little more than a day. More than two days too. But he missed it. So let's see what happens next. So we know we're going back to the story in chapter 16. Abram just slept with Hagar and she is now pregnant. Here we go. Verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. He's talking about Hagar. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh my, this is a mess. (laughs) Hagar is pregnant. She's looking down on Sarah. We don't know what that means, despising. We don't know to what extent was she saying, I'm pregnant and you're not pregnant. Was it like he loves me more than you? I was like, she could have, you could have gone any direction. But she was not, not necessarily the sweetest one to Sarah, Sarah's. And now she is scorned, she is hurt, and she is blaming her husband. It is your fault that I'm in this mess. You slept with her now, you fix it. What? But you told me to what he... It's a mess. One, she told him to, yes, he should have never done that, right? But she should never told him. So it's both. They're both making a mess here. So there's Hagar's fighting with, with Sarai, and Sarai's fighting with Abram. This is a big mess. Are you the only one affected by your sin? Obviously, you're starting to see that there's, our sin creates some drama in our lives. I don't know about you. It's created drama in my life, Right? Doesn't matter what level, there's drama that's created. Not usually a good type of drama. So when Hagar conceived, um, Sarai discovers the plan that she had didn't produce the results she wanted. She thought, I'd have a baby, I'd be fulfilled, I'll be accepted by everyone, this will be fantastic, it'll be wonderful, my husband will love me, we'll live happily ever after. And the sin that they did, that the, the plan she had didn't produce the results she wanted. And you know, a lot of times, the sin, the reason why we sin, because we hope it'll produce results we want. The whole reason why we sin is because I sin because I want this. And if I sin, I'm going to get that. And then as those who've been around long enough know, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it backfires with us. Sometimes it may not be right away, but in long term, it doesn't work out. There's a reason for us. But this, again, brings me back to the garden of Eden here. Let's look at it in Genesis 3, 4 through 6. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is when um, the devil is tempting Eve. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in that day you will eat of it. Your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's talking about eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said not to. Satan's saying, do it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, 
So the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate it. So Adam and Eve are there because the husband's right there. So don't be blaming Eve. Adam's right there. He could have said no, but he didn't. So the fruit looks tasty here, right? They said, and the desired wisdom they would get, they'd have an opportunity to be like God, knowing good and evil. This, I could be, we could be like God, knowing good and evil. I desire that, so we will sin to get it. That's how it works. The problem is, the hope that which they were longing for didn't result the way they thought it would, Right? They did understood, they, they're in an aspect, they did understand now what good and evil was where they didn't before, but they weren't like God, they became sinful. And as a result, there was sin, there was shame, there was toil in working the ground, there was pain in pregnancy, there was physical death. There was also death of one son, Cain killing Abel, another son, and they experienced that, plus many other negative results. You know, the sin that they hoped produced a certain result didn't. They were fooled by it. We get fooled. I get fooled, right? All the time. If I just do this, this will be the result. You know, and a lot of times we may see short-term gains, right? Abram saw short-term gains. He got rich in Egypt. But long-term, it created a bigger mess. And when we try to fix our situation with sin and try to get out whatever we're dealing with, it creates a bigger mess. Maybe... You know, it, it might be like a, a lie or half-truth. makes me look better, maybe for my boss, maybe for my friends or whatever. Or maybe to hide, because if I lie, then I can get out of trouble because I really shouldn't have done that, and they find out, Mom, I'm in trouble. Maybe it's a compromise. You want to look good in front of the world just to try to fit in. I want to fit in, so let me do this. Or maybe it's a sin in relationship, and you're doing things you know God doesn't call you to do, but you do it because you want to keep that relationship. Compromises. Maybe it's boasting or embellishment to keep your position in your job, or just to impress people, or on social media to look good. Whatever it is, we think this sin's going to produce a certain result. And short term, it may. You may get a lot of compliments. You may get the raise. You may get out of being in trouble. But long term, it catches up with you. Because one sin leads to the next, to leads to the next. And before you know it, we have a cascade of consequences behind us. Like I said, short term, Abram acquired great wealth. He acquired servants, sheep, cattle, donkeys, because he lied before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gave him the dowry because he thought he was getting a wife. So in that day, you would give lots of money to the family as a thanks for having the wife becoming married. If he just wouldn't have lied and told that half-truth, he wouldn't be the mess he's in right now. Man, you ever do that? You look back and say, I just didn't do that. Oh, God taught me so many lessons that way. I still feel this morning I'm stretching, doing my, oh, God was trying to teach me a lesson I refused, and now I still have an injured wrist. That's another story for another day. So Sarai just blamed Abram. It's your fault that, that she's pregnant, talking about Hagar. So let's see where this, how this mess continues. Uh, 16 verse 6. So Abram is responding to Sarai's complaint. 
Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So Sarah wanted Abram to fix it. Abram said, it's your slave, do whatever you want. He deferred to her. Because she's like, okay, I'll deal with it. And because she started mistreating her, and this is probably not a nice mistreatment, not like, oh, you're a horrible woman. No, it's probably like really horrible things she's saying about her, probably beat her. I mean, it was so bad that she was running from her life. A slave running um, alone is not a safe place for her to be. That's how bad it got. So we have a pregnant Hagar with Abraham's baby in her belly running off. This is not a good situation. This is not what was planned earlier on. Let's keep going. Verses 7 and 8. The angel Lord found Hagar near the spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. So we have Hagar running away. Where is she going? She's going to shore. Anybody know where shore is? Yeah, Jersey Shore. Not that kind of shore. She... She's going back to Egypt. That's the way back to Egypt because that's where she's from. She's going back there because she doesn't know anybody, know anywhere. So if I go there, at least I know somebody. There's maybe family and things down there that she can get around. So she's headed there. But it says, the angel of the Lord found her. Now, it wasn't like the angel of the Lord says, I feel like walking on the road from shore to Canaan. Let's go. And he happened, oh, who are you? You know, like it wasn't like an accidental bumping into this was an intentional act by God to meet Hagar. He was on a mission straight to speak to her. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, most of the times it could mean God, God appearing in human form. It could also mean an angel. You kind of have to look at the context to know, right? So this is, in this instance, this is God when you, when you see the rest of this. So God is meeting with Hagar. And he identifies who she is. God knows all this stuff. It's not surprising to God, right? He says, he calls her by name, Hagar, slave of Sarai. Where you go, where you come from, where are you going? He knows exactly where she came from. He knows exactly where she's going. He wants to hear her response. I'm running away from a Mr. Sarai, she answered. And it goes on. Let's go to verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Hmm. The Lord gives two directives, right? He says, go back to Canaan, go to Sarai, and submit to her. This is not the situation I think Hagar wanted to hear. She's like, I'm running away from her because she's abusing me. And this is no, don't proof Texas and use this as, well, if you're being abusive relationship, you need to stay there. That's what the, no, 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 no. If you're in an abusive relationship, you get out. I just want to be aware of that. This here is a, a, a specific direction for Sarah, for Hagar, that God has for her because she's connected to Abram. This is, oh, there's a whole bigger promise and God's blessing, and this is a whole bigger thing than, than what she thinks. That's why there's a reason going out. And that's why she needs to stay there. The Lord knows her mess. The Lord knows that she's being mistreated. 
the Lord knows this. The Lord hears her cries, but she also, she knows she belongs there because she's connected to Abram. Are you the only one affected by your sin? Abram's sin about saying it's my half-sister, and omitting that she's my wife, he acquired a slave. He didn't think anything of it because he does it again later on in chapter 20. Abram gets rich from it, so he keeps lying. That's not a big deal. Look, it worked out. No, I didn't get struck by lightning, get hit by a car. I'm good. God's not mad at me. I keep going. Sarai's desire for a child, not believing in the promise that God had for her, told her husband, go sleep with Hagar, become pregnant. And again, Abram doesn't say no. You see these, how they connect? Then Hagar despising Sarai, so she sinned and was mean to Sarai. And as a result, Sarai beats her and she runs. And now she's got to go back to the abuse she was in. And everybody's sin is affecting everybody else's sin, which is creating a bigger and bigger mess. Wow, sin really affects others, doesn't it? But it took a while to get here. Does it happen the day after they sinned? No. This took a while. Same as us. The sin we sin, like, mm, I'm standing, I'm good. No, it takes a while to see some of these effects. But back to the story. The angel of the Lord is speaking, God is speaking to Hagar. Verse 10. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Hmm. Have we heard that somewhere? Yeah, that was God's promise to Abram. We read it earlier about you'll have so many descendants, as many as the dust that you can't even count. So wait, so we heard that about Abram, and now this is with Sarai. So even though God's promise is supposed to be with, with, with Sarah and, Sarai and Abram through Isaac, that's a promise of many descendants and God's blessing to come from it. God still said, you're going to have many descendants. So hey, the many descendants through Hagar line is going to be as well. As a result, you're going to see that. So long-lasting of sinful effects will now be through a family line that should have never been started. But we'll look at that in a little bit. Let's go to verse 11. The angel Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant. And you will give birth to a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. So God is speaking to, to Hagar and says, hey, you're pregnant, and you're going to have a son. But this is before ultrasound, and a lot of us, oh, well, of course. They, they didn't know until the baby was born if it was going to be a boy or a girl. So God, God's saying you're going to have a son, and hey, guess who's going to name him? I'm going to name him. God names him Ishmael, which means God hears. And it says, the Lord has heard your misery. Wow, what a picture of grace. What a picture of God's love. The Lord heard her misery. The Lord heard Hagar, a seemingly insignificant slave girl, running away. God heard her cry, heard her pain, and intervened and say, I'm going to appear before her to speak to her. I'm going to name her child and let her know that I hear her misery. The reality is God hears your misery. God hears your cries. God loves you. He sees you as valuable. He sees you as important. 
You are not alone. Even though you may seem like your situation is a mess, you may feel like I've caused my own mess and I'm here, God still hears your misery and God still intervenes. Because God loves you. And God knows we mess up. God knows we're broken. This is such a picture of grace. When you see this big mess, God is appearing to Hagar to speak to her, to intervene. You know, and he wants to speak to you. He wants to meet you in your pain and in your misery. Seek him. He wants to bring his presence, and he wants to direct you. With Hagar, he appeared before her with his presence, and he directed her on what to do. If you seek him, he will do that. Seek him. Here the angel Lord continues to speak to Hagar talking about Ishmael. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Okay, so this is not as happy and positive. <laughs> you know, God hears naming my child. Oh, sounds great. I'm going to have a son. Oh, I don't know if I... Oh. So it says he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. He's going to be violent, stubborn, unruly, rule breaker, want to do what he wants to do. He's going to be against everyone and everybody's going to be against him and he's going to live in hostility towards his brothers, even future brothers, Isaac in that line. And it says in, in uh, Genesis chapter 19, when it talks about Ishmael, it talks about he's going to ha- he has 12 sons, 12 princes and you know Jacob and he has the 12 sons and we see two different lines. And we actually see that Islam claims um, Ishmael as their father through Abraham, right? So you have Abraham through Isaac, you, you have the Jewish people, right? And then you have Abraham and you have Ishmael, you have the Arabic people. Because Josephus actually says in time of Jesus' day, he's a great historian, Roman Jewish historian, he says it goes back, to, uh, those who are Arab trace their roots back to Ishmael. And so we see Islam also says it's from Ishmael. So we've had wars between the two groups, hostilities between the brothers for centuries, for thousands of years. We even have it going on right now in Israel. These are some long-lasting sinful consequences that they had no clue that they were dealing with. Are you the only one affected by your sin? I can attest that everyone around me is affected by my sin. It just is. I've seen it. I've seen the fruit of it. Sarah and Abraham caused the origin of the Ishmaelites. And it even affects their great-grandson named Joseph. In uh, Genesis chapter 37, 28, after the brothers wanted to kill him, but instead tried to sell him to slaves, is what it says. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Of course they go to Egypt. That's probably where the mom and son went later on, to Egypt, because that's what she knew. So that's where the Ishmaelites grew, and so they would take him back to Egypt. So it even affected the great-grandson. Now, this, this is heavy. Um... We've all made mistakes, and we all felt consequences of our mistakes. Yet can God, can Jesus redeem our mistakes? Yes, he can. 
there still may be consequences, but he can redeem our mistakes. He can uh, make good, turn things into good that are bad. You know, God wants, when we trust him, when we give it to him, when we say, Lord, I surrender to you, I'm going towards you, there king's blessing, even though we have those past mistakes. He could bring blessings to us and our families. We see in the future, we see Joseph as he trusts the Lord, even though his brothers sold him as a slave, even though his brothers wanted him dead, and he got sold as a slave, he obeyed God, and he served. Even though he got accused from Potiphar's wife when he didn't do anything, when he was doing right and get thrown in jail, he's sitting in jail, he's still honoring God and saying, I'm choosing to do what's right and not to sin against the Lord. And the Lord brought great blessing, right? The Lord raised him up, he came second in command, and even when he could kill his brothers, when they came because they, they were in famine, and they came before him, bowed before him. He could have put him in jail forever. He could have killed him. Nobody would know the difference. He could have gotten his revenge for all those years sitting in prison. He showed the mercy the Lord shows us. And he restored them. And there's great blessing when we obey the Lord. There's great blessing to us and our families. When we turn from our sin and we choose to do what's right. My parents, when they were in their 20s, they chose to walk with the Lord and do what's right and raise me and my sister up in that. And as a result, me and my sister are, are, were blessed from it. And as we in our own families choose to obey God and choose to follow him, and when we mess up, turn from it and turn back to God, there will be blessings that will pour off to our children. God, desires, God knows all the mistakes of our past. God knows our current mistakes. God gives an opportunity to turn to him and make right in our situation. And even when people harm us, God could use it for good. Like with Joseph, when he's talking to his brothers, it's like, what you meant for evil, God used for good. So even when something is done to us, God could use it if we trust him. It may not be easy. There's going to be consequences that are felt. But God wants to use it for good if we trust him for it. The Bible's full of redemptive stories. We have Moses and God freeing the Israelite slaves. We have the judges. When the judges trusted the Lord and the people turned back to God, God delivered them from their enemies. We have Joshua as he marched into the promised land, saw miracles of God happening and God being mighty. King David and others. And ultimately, we see Jesus. A redemptive story about Jesus laying down his life for us. He didn't sin. He took the consequences of our sin when he was obedient to, to God to death. And we are blessed from that. When we turn and we seek to trust God, we are greatly blessed. It won't be perfect. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It's like, oh, Pastor Lou said. No, the, the Bible clearly talks about, but the, here, the, here's the thing. God is with, the, with us in it. He's walking with us. And he will comfort us. He will see our misery like he sees Hagar's misery. And he'll hear her crying and he'll hear her. And he'll hear our crying and he will carry us through. That's what God desires to do. And we see that with Abram. We see the blessing that God has for him when he chooses, when him and Sarah choose to say, okay, we're believing. And then at 100 years old, Sarah at 90, they have a baby boy. Was God did a whole miracle for that to happen, even carrying the baby. You know, God had to make the womb like a 
like a young woman for that to happen. God did a miracle because they trusted the Lord in that. And even in spite of Abram's sin, he becomes the father of faith. And the Lord says, um, your faith is credited to you as righteousness, as if you're sinless. That's what it's talking about. And our faith in Jesus, we get credit to as if we're sinless. It's not about what we do. It's not about being good enough before God. It's not about look at my messes and my messes have to be less messy than everybody else for me to get to heaven. No, is our faith in the Lord that gets us right with him. Our sin and our mess just makes our life messier. I need to trust God and give it. And when I submit to him and follow him, he brings great blessing to that. So let's go back to the story. Hagar is speaking to the angel of the Lord in verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Baird. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had bore. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. What a redemptive story. God hears an insignificantly slave girl, insignificant slave girl. He meets her face to face. So much so that she, she says, she identifies him as the God who sees her. God who sees her misery. God who hears her pain. That's who you are. He, she even names the well, Ber Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees. Every time she passes by, she was like, this is a monument. This is the God who sees me. Even in the midst of our despair, God sees us and hears our pain. Are you the only one affected by your sin? Even with our consequences, God still hears and sees our pain and he pours out grace. That's why God is so good. He knows we're broken. He knows we need him. And he pours out grace before us. Hagar, for the rest of her life, will be forever changed because the Lord appeared to her. She met God face to face. God spoke to her, and she will worship the God for the rest of her life, the God who hears and sees her. That's what she will, and she will worship him. She got to meet God in the midst of her mess. You know, we get to meet, even in the midst of our mess, God wants to meet us. God wants you to know that he hears your pain and your misery, hears your cry, he sees your brokenness, and, and whether it's from sins of yourself or others, God sees it, and he wants you to meet with him and be healed from it. He wants you to run to him. He wants you to seek him and ask for forgiveness and receive that grace that he pours out. And Jesus is the ultimate gift of that. Ultimate picture of this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our mess of our sin, Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm going to take the penalty for you. If you just believe in me. If we allow Jesus into our lives, and we submit to his rule, 
there's going to be great blessing that he'll pour out upon us and our families. He wants to bless you. He hasn't rejected you. So seek him. Ask for forgiveness. Turn from your sin. Submit to him. Move forward in this next year of 2024. Move forward in walking closer to him, turning from your sin and turning to God, and God will bring blessings. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. We praise you that you are the God who sees and hears us. Lord, we are not alone in our misery, though we feel like we are, Lord God. We, you are there with us. Lord, I pray that you would meet us. I know in sin we feel shame, we feel regret, we feel our pain. Lord God, I ask that you'd free us from those things too. Lord, that we could surrender those things to you, all those feelings, and trust that you're going to work it for good as we move forward, trusting you. Lord, we want to pray for all those who are involved in some of those consequences. Lord, that you would meet those people in that. Lord, that you would draw them greater to your presence. Lord, that you would use it for good. Lord, we need you. Lord, draw us closer to you. Lord, we ask that we would, as we turn to you, that you would reveal yourself to us in a powerful way. That you would minister to our hearts. And you would give us direction. Lord, we need you. We praise you. You are such a good God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that you pour out on us, that we don't deserve it. Lord, and we want to praise you right now and thank you that you do that for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.